0: Jennifer Coe has been making waves on the classical music scene since the mid-90s after she picked up a silver medal at the Tchaikovsky Violin Competition. Uh, but rather than take the straight and narrow route of warhorse concertos and recital programs, she's put her own stamp on a broad and eclectic range of repertoire. Currently, she's in the midst of a project called Bach and Beyond, exploring the connections between Sebastian Bach and contemporary composers. This month, she makes her New York Philharmonic debut in a rarely heard piece by Vítold Blutoslawskiy. Jennifer, you just played in our cafe here at WQXR uh, some music from your Bach and Beyond project. What is this thing exactly, and where'd you get the idea?
1: I think with Bach and Beyond, it was really about putting together a program that kind of explored this music, which I've kind of been has been with me my entire kind of musical life. And I think as a musician growing up in a time when I was a kid, everybody was saying classical music is dead. So in a sense. I had to validate to myself I, why is it that this art form is so visceral and why is it so compelling to me. And a large part of kind of that exploration was through contemporary music because contemporary music is what ties us to the past. You know, Every day that passes, we're a day further from Bach's time, from that world, from that society in which it was born and, and art and culture. Um, are always products of their time. They're individual voices, but they're they're products of their time. So Bach and Beyond was about coming to an understanding of why Bach was still so meaningful to me and creating a thread to the past.
0: The first album in this series pairs Bach's partitas number two and three with Isaiah's sonata number two and then works by Kaya Saryaho and Missy Mazzoli. Mm-hmm. The latter two, saryaho and Mazzoli, do they inherit Bach's legacy or are they picking up this strange foreign object and trying to make sense of it?
1: I think with Missy Mazzoli specifically we spoke actually about Bach and the actually the the opening of of Missy's piece directly applies to the Chaconne. It's a D minor kind of chord Um, and then she kind of goes off into her own kind of musical language in a way. For Kaya Kaya's piece, Nocturne, it was really about coming to an understanding of of how kind of different musical traditions pass from generation to generation. So interestingly enough, um, she told me that Ludislavsky actually had a, had a huge kind of impact in her life. She wasn't as close to him um, as, as Hapekka Salonen was, but... She said that she remembers very specifically him coming to the conservatory when she was just a young composer and giving a talk. Um, But so Nocturne was written in memoriam for um, Ludoslavsky, and it was about how do you pass tradition from from generation to generation of composer. And and again, that idea of creating a journey um, all the way to the past.
0: You mentioned that classical music is so visceral to you, so not dead, so living to you. But let's talk about Bach for a minute and the fact that you have taken up these works, which are, we hear, very intimidating. Some violinists (laughs) don't like to maybe take these out in public in the way that pianists sometimes don't like to take the keyboard works out in public. They like to live with them at home for a long time. Mm -hmm. You have not been uh, hesitant about that. What is it about these pieces that speaks to you and that you want to share when you play them in public?
1: Well, I can tell you for sure I didn't want to play it in public for a really long time and because there's something so personal and so um, visceral about the sonatas and partitas. And these were works that were never commissioned by anyone. Um, Bach wrote it just simply out of a creative need to express himself in that way. So uh, the reason I was so hesitant to play it in public for a long time is that these works were so honest and they came from a very private and personal place for Bach, I believe. I mean, I look at these sonatas and partitas and I see it as this almost private musical journal of his life. And there's a kind of nakedness and vulnerability in, that mu- in the music and a purity because of that. And it's actually a very painful process for me to prepare to play them in public because I feel like in order to play it in the way that I believe it has to be played and communicated, I have to go to that place of being completely naked and completely vulnerable. And it's quite painful to, to get myself even emotionally and however else in that place. In the end, it, I think it, it's been one of the hardest things I've done, but by far one of the most satisfying things.
0: For your Philharmonic debut, you're doing this uh, Lutusvowski, Chain 2. Why this piece for a debut with an orchestra in a major city?
1: Well, uh, I have to confess that I I have a very special place in my heart for my hometown of New York. And I feel, in a way, it's very special for me because I feel like New York knows all sides of me because I've done almost all of the repertoire that I kind of cover I've done in New York. So I'm thrilled that I can do Chain 2. It's a great piece. It's really an excellent piece. This is kind of in, you know, I've been carrying it in 2013, kind of in celebration of of his 100th birth year. And I really do believe that it needs to be heard more. I I believe it's a great piece, and, and it deserves to be heard more. And more importantly than that, the reason I'm happy to do it in New York is that so many of kind of my composer colleagues are and friends are are in the city and and there's something about his music that i think is such an important voice that does need to be heard and in a way sometimes i think that the most important part of performance is how does it then influence the next generation but i think for me the the aspects of the work that i love are are several things first of all i think ludoslavsky as a composer through this is kind of a later piece for him and so first of all there's something very compelling I find about later works for composers in general because I mean compelling in the sense that when you kind of traverse their kind of compositional life you see kind of bits of who they are in the beginning um, and you see kind of in the development the struggle to to find the language and to find I mean there's still great works but you see how the They're kind of playing with how they create their own language in a sense. Um, And I think what's, to me, compelling always about or oftentimes about later works by composers is that they start integrating all those parts.
0: You had another entirely different kind of perspective on live performance and creative energy earlier this season when you donned a mustache, which was the last time that Mm -hmm. I saw you, was at the Brooklyn Academy of Music in the recent revival of Einstein on the Beach uh, when you wore um, Einstein wig and mustache um, in that revival. How was it to put the mustache on? Did that change who you were as a performer? Did you become Einstein? And was, in fact, that even what you were supposed to do?
1: Well, first of all, the mustache is very itchy, and so is the <laughs> wig. <laughs> and it, it after a few nights, like my entire, like, the, the space of skin between my nose and my li- upper lip is just like so sore from the glue. But on a more serious note, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life to to work with Robert Wilson. And What did um, he
0: teach you? What did you learn from him? And what did he tell you about, about playing this music? Because you really did. You sat there and you played the violin. It's nothing unusual in your life.
1: I feel like I met my soulmate. The way that he works um, is exactly the way that I work. I mean, it's slightly different because I mean he's such a perfectionist and and he doesn't stop until things have reached his vision of what they should be. It's different because I work, of course, by myself a lot of the time in that work process, and he's working within a the theater with a lot of different with a lot of different you know parts and people and components. But as soon as I saw how he worked, it was like I knew who he was immediately. On a musical level, basically, he let me do whatever I wanted, which was awesome, <laughs> and I really appreciated that, actually, um, that, that there were certain things that hadn't necessarily archivally been done musically prior, um, but it was something that I felt like I found and heard in the music, that I wanted to kind of bring this kind of sense of internal versus external and, and the kind of pull.
0: Did Philip Glass talk to you about the music and playing it? Did you have conversations with him?
1: I mean, he's very supportive, but he doesn't uh, really become so involved musically.
0: I'm going to ask you again, though, the first question, which is, was your job to become Einstein?
1: It was interesting. So I was saying, like, I felt like I found my soulmate. And I was quite scared going into the rehearsal process because i've never acted or done anything in that way i've never played a character and in fact for me performing and being a musician is about being more myself there than anywhere else in a sense and being being more purely human so to me it was very daunting and of course i really like these things that scare me so um so I remember when we were doing the staging things and, and you know, the, the costumes had all been set up and stuff and we were in full costume or whatever. And Bob was talking to me in, in actorly terms with actor language. And I, I think he was talking for like 10 minutes. And at the end of it, he was like, Jennifer, do you understand what I'm saying? And I said, I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> and... The funny thing was that, you know, he, we were doing music rehearsals and he was in the theater. It was not necessarily staging rehearsal. He kind of heard how I guess I played and he kind of saw, you know, how I worked. And it was an incredible thing. So as soon as he discovered that I had no idea how to understand, I I didn't even know where stage right was. So they were like, walk onto stage right. And I was like, which direction is this? He knew how to talk to me. He was like, what, what? how do you feel, you know, in your body when you're in a dream? You know, how do you move? And so finally it turned into this thing where he was like, so just imagine this, or imagine this dream, or imagine these two elements when you walk. Because, again, I've never acted. And so he knew how to speak to me. So when, I, when he said, think of these things, then I was moving in the way that he was looking for. Um, and I became the character, and I, ha- and I guess I was... You know, sitting in the way or looking in the way that he was looking for. So yes, now it's very difficult for me to separate the music, actually, from the character of Einstein. But I'm really excited because Robert Wilson and I will be staging all six Natas and Partitas of Bach, and we're opening in Paris in November of this year. Yes, part of the beautiful thing I think about this specifically doing the Bach with him is that it's such a personal, um, kind of experience for me, and and this relationship with Bob has become such a kind of personal, intense relationship as well, that it, there's something beautiful about about us being able to do it in this way, and to do it with this repertoire that I'm so excited about.
0: What happened with Michelle Obama?
1: That was before I met Robert Wilson, but um, <laughs> or before I worked with Robert Wilson, but that was last year. I just got a call, and they asked me... Um, to play for the state visit of South Korea, and I remembered I was so excited when I met her. Like it, there was, there's a receiving line, that I almost knocked over the first lady of Korea. <laughs> <laughs> because I was hugging, I, I, and I actually, I never, I, I'm not really like this, but I just kind of like hopped towards Michelle Obama to like give her a hug, and I was really excited because she hugged me back. <laughs> and then I, had I to bet d- she had no choice actually. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to give my apologies to the the, the First Lady of Korea was very, very lovely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we'll be careful with you in receiving lines <laughs> from now on to give you plenty of space in case you're seized by sudden inspiration. <laughs> Jennifer Coe, it's a privilege to talk to you, and we'll look forward to talking to you again about Bach.
1: Thank you so much.